I'm Brett Chang, and this is your Peak Daily for Wednesday, March 16th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less or around seven minutes. Peak Pals, welcome back. It's a solo episode today, and I have to say one thing. We've seen a bunch of growth in the past few weeks, so I just wanted to give a big welcome and thank you to all of our new Peak Pals. Welcome to the community. We're so excited to have you. And you know what? Since it's just me on the intro today, I just wanted to give a big shout out to one of our recent reviewers on Apple Podcasts. Tirig said, this is exactly the podcast I was looking for. Short, great quality, and the content is bang on. It's accessible to people who don't know a lot about the financial world, while also interesting for people who do. Tirig, that means so much to me. You're going to make me cry. Thank you to all of you PayPals out there who listen every single day. I can't express my gratitude enough. And hey, if you do want to leave a review, we love reading them. We love shutting them out. Go on Apple Podcasts or Spotify right now and give it five stars and leave a review. And uh, we'll be sure to get to it. And we, we look at every single one of them. So anyways, thank you, Tarek. Thank you, Peak Pals. And let's get to the episode. For our first story, we've got free trade. For our second story, going digital. And for our third story, we the North. For our first story, Canada and India have announced that they are resuming talks to reach a new free trade agreement. Now, you think it would make sense for the largest producer of plant-based protein, that's Canada, us, and the country with the most vegetarians, that's India, to be two peas in a pod when it comes to trade. Yet, a comprehensive trade agreement between the two nations has never been signed. There is some background. In 2010, Canada and India launched negotiations towards a comprehensive economic partnership agreement, SEPA, aimed at promoting trade and eliminating existing barriers. The most recent negotiations came in August 2017, but after 10 rounds of talks over 12 years, a deal has yet to be signed. Now, per McLean's, reasons for the failure to reach an agreement include political events, conflicting negotiating styles, and differing technical approaches to trade. Now, Canada's trade minister, Mary Ng, emerged from a two-day trip to India with a promise to intensify negotiations towards a bilateral investment agreement. Now, Canada already trades with India, with exports up almost a fourth between April 2021 and January 2022. But the lack of a trade agreement has limited the full potential of their partnership. The SEPA would factor in increasing not just matters of goods, but services, investments, data sharing, and labor mobility. And folks, let's, let's bring it all back together here and tell you why it matters. Democratic nations are looking to strengthen ties through trade in opposition to the growing economic influence of China. Now, experts told the Financial Post that current geopolitical conditions make it so there's a good chance a deal gets done. India is the world's sixth largest and fastest growing economy in the world, and an expanded market access would offer new opportunities to Canadian businesses in emerging sectors, transportation infrastructure, and clean energy technology in particular, and traditional sectors, natural resources, defense, and mining. They have also stressed the importance of science, technology, and educational collaboration. Now, currently, our top three exports to India are fuel, vegetables, and wood pulp, each accounting for around $325 million each. Now, these numbers could rise if SEPA is signed. Now, currently, no Western nations have free trade agreements in place with India, but renewed discussions with the UK and Australia, in addition to Canada, could signal a change. Now, to connect it to a bigger picture, last year, Canada's trade surplus, the measure of how much we export versus how much we import, reached a 13-year high, signaling a stronger-than-expected comeback for exporters from the depth of the pandemic, and a trade agreement with India can make that even bigger. For a second story, a federal government program aimed at helping businesses go digital is under fire from critics who claim it amounts to a giveaway for U.S. tech giants. To get you caught up, earlier this month, 
the federal government announced its Canada Digital Adoption Program. They're calling it CADA. I'm not sure if I love that name, but that's what the acronym is. And this will award $4 billion through grants to help businesses upgrade their technology while also training a pool of 28,000 digital advisors to guide businesses through the process of adopting new tech. Basically, what you do for your grandparents who just got their first iPad. Now, the pandemic changed the ways Canadian businesses operate as online retail sales increased by 88.4% over 2020 and 2021. And payment processor Square saw a 438% increase in online growth for Canadian businesses. And here's where the critique comes in. The grants are intended to help small businesses make the jump to online sales with things like digital advertising or e-commerce software. But this is where critics say the problem goes wrong. There is no requirement that the funds be spent with Canadian providers. Now, in reality, this means a lot of the money will go to the largest players in software and advertising space, U.S. giants like Facebook and Google. Now, Jim Balsilli, chair of the Council of Canadian Innovators, called on the program to be reworked so that Canadian vendors and media companies would stand to benefit more. Yes, but... Adding restrictions on how the grant money is spent would tie the hands of business owners and could blunt the effectiveness of the program in its goal of transitioning small businesses to online sales. Now, here's the bottom line. The federal government is facing competing interests in the rollout of the CADA program. Small business owners who want funding with as few strings attached as possible and Canadian tech companies who would prefer to have a leg up over foreign competitors when it comes to bringing those businesses on as customers. And for our last story, this week, Canada's defense chief said that protecting the country's north is a key priority tied to the economic and security interests as Moscow moves to reoccupy Cold War military bases in nearby Arctic regions. Now, on the Peak Daily, we love to correct misconceptions. So we'll start with a few here. The first misconception that a lot of Canadians have is that Russia is actually pretty far. Well, let's put this in perspective. The distance between Canada's closest land border is only 1,300 kilometers, a quick hop from Little Gold Yukon to Yulin, Russia, over Alaska, and that's roughly equal to the distance between Russia and Germany. Now, the second big misconception of the North is that there's nothing up there. Climate change is melting ice and opening up the Northwest Passage, an Arctic sea route between islands north of the Canadian mainland, which Russia has long viewed as an opportunity to develop energy sources and find shortcuts in international shipping lanes. And it's no bluff. In 2014, the passage took 26 days to transport nickel from Quebec to China, compared with a previous trip through the Panama Canal, which is a route lasting 41 days. Now, this route could be used as an alternative to the Panama Canal, conveniently linking the east coast of North America from East Asia and connecting Europe to Asia without a long south and around Africa trip. Now, per The Economist, Canada acquired the group of islands from Britain in 1880 and claimed sovereignty over this whole passage because of the routes run between the islands that are Canadian territory, but has never sought to settle that question in court. And in addition to all of that, Canada's Arctic is home to approximately 150,000 inhabitants, of which more than half are indigenous. Canada's defense chief warned about the remilitarization of the North by Russia and our potential vulnerability due to sparse population and lack of infrastructure. Now, Canada's military has a demonstrable capability it can exercise, including operating in extreme conditions at the furthest reaches of the territory, which acts as a bit of a deterrent. But to kind of tie this all back together on why it matters, the reoccupation has promoted fears that it may try to dominate, that Russia may try to dominate the region, which is rich in natural resources. The defense chief says protecting our Arctic region is a key priority and armed forces should consider the long game based on Russia's recent actions in the world. 
Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to and only daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. If you've got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. As always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for putting together this episode. Thank you, Dale. Thank you, Jay, wherever you are. And we'll see you tomorrow, Peak Pals. Bye.